0: Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. I'm also a managing director and partner in the Bonson Group, a wealth management practice with offices in Newport Beach, California, and New York City. So this week, it's the 4th of July, and my podcast slash blog for today um, is going to be all about declaring our own financial independence day. I'm going to take you through the five steps towards reaching financial independence. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me. This is a bit of a long one, but I didn't want to short change the topic because I think there are a lot of elements that we need to address to really delve into how we can get to some form of financial independence and hence freedom of choice in our lives. So what is financial independence? The word independence is defined as freedom from control or influence of another or others. Wiktionary also defines independence as the state of having sufficient means for a comfortable livelihood. Bingo. I like that definition. There's no real absolute definition of financial independence. Different people are going to have a different definition. Some people may think it means retiring at 40. But in my opinion, that's a very myopic view of it. I mean, if you're under 40, perhaps that's your goal. And it's a laudable goal if that's what you want for your life. But for most of us who live in the real world, a retiring at 40 really isn't an option because we have families and things occur throughout life. So, rather, I would like to define financial independence to mean the ability to live without financial fear during the roller coaster ride of life because you are prepared enough to deal with all of life's ups and downs without going into debt, sacrificing and skimping on necessities. It's the ability to live your life as you desire within reasonable parameters, to be able to breathe. It doesn't mean you never have to work another day in your life, but it does mean you have the freedom to pivot by quitting a job that you don't like, or going back to school, or starting a new business, or pursuing a new course in life without major upheaval. Freedom to choose, to have options, to breathe, to not live in fear. Given all that has gone on recently with the recent pandemic, This ability to be financially independent has really come into focus, at least in my mind. The ability to make it a reality takes time and discipline, but it is worth the effort in the end if it reduces financial fear, anxiety, and clears your mind for other endeavors that will increase your quality of life. It's really the things in life that money can't buy that we really cherish a lot of the times, so if we can get the money situation sorted out, it will definitely pave the way for a lot more options for us to pursue in the money can't buy category. So what's the big plan to accomplish this? When thinking about financial independence, one should consider the here and now, and then the retirement stage of one's life. The goal is to have independence in both of these stages. The first question you need to ask is, what do you want your lifestyle to look like? Obviously, the more minimalist your lifestyle, the less money you need to accomplish independence. But be realistic and honest with yourself in your analysis. Minimalism sounds good in theory, but when you start to practice it, sometimes you might go a little awry of the minimalist theory. So just be real. Step one is budgeting, understanding how you spend your money. This is the very first thing you've got to do. If you don't know where you're at, you really can't go forward. So, get a picture of what your current spending looks like now. If you don't know how you are spending your money, you won't be able to strategize about how to marshal your resources to achieve financial freedom. You need to get a very clear picture of this and break down all of your expenditures, both short and long term. By doing the following, you can create that picture. One, create a list of all your fixed and variable monthly expenses. Use your best efforts on the variable costs. Fixed costs, as you probably know, include monthly bills such as rent, mortgage, utility, cell phone, gas, transportation, food. So think shelter, food, basics to keep you alive. Variable costs include entertainment, clothing, restaurants, all costs that are not essential to your basic living expense. If you find it difficult figuring out what your variable costs are, simply get a firm number on your fixed expenses, Subtract that from the average of your total monthly expenses over the last couple of months and whatever's left over is an approximation of what your average variable expenses are per month. Total all your monthly expenses and then compare it to your monthly income. This will give you a quick snapshot of where you are and if your monthly expenses exceed your income. And if they do, you're clearly living beyond your means. First, focus on reducing any variable costs that you can to save more. If that alone doesn't correct the expense overage, then you got to start looking at the fixed costs and see where you can cut. Step two, after you've done the budgeting, is determine your total credit card debt balance. So if your expenses exceed your income, you may be incurring credit card debt to make up the difference, because something has to make up the difference. Lingering and mounting credit card debt, which is accruing high interest, is absolutely, positively not our friend. Eliminating this debt is crucial in your fight for financial independence. Otherwise, its continuing presence will cause a very long detour to achieving financial freedom. So you got to hit this credit card debt and hit it hard. So how are you going to do that? You're going to create a payment plan that fits your budget to pay it all off, and it may take some time. So it's kind of like losing weight. You're not going to get it all done in the first week or the first month. You've got to be disciplined and you've got to be pers- you've got to persevere with this. So if your credit score is healthy enough to qualify for a 0% introductory rate on balance transfers, then do that to reduce interest payments. Maybe you can qualify for a personal loan where you can consolidate your credit card debt and the personal loan will have a lower interest payment and you'll pay one payment a month and eliminate all the credit card debt with a loan. But if you're going to go down that route, be sure not to incur any more debt on your credit cards as you pay off the balances. If your accounts are already seriously delinquent, then reach out to a nonprofit credit counseling agency such as the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. They can help you shore this up and come up with some solutions to eliminate the debt over time. Most importantly... Learn to say no to yourself when considering incurring credit card debt. When you whip out your credit card, think twice about it. When you're online shopping and you just plug in that number, think twice about it. Because it will come back. It doesn't just disappear into the ether. It is real debt that will follow you around if you do not pay it off monthly. Now, keep in mind, not all debt is bad. But it must be managed carefully. For example, mortgage debt builds equity in a home. Or you may incur debt for education, which will hopefully enable you to get a better job with a higher salary, which will unlock more opportunities. Step 3 Saving 101. Number 1 Build an emergency fund. Once you get your credit card debt under control, it is critical that you save for an emergency fund that will cover three to six months of living expenses. This is ground zero for building financial independence. If something unexpected occurs, at least you will have three to six months to gather your thoughts and make next moves without worrying about shelter and food. My recommendation is always to try to attain six months of savings. Obviously, the longer road you have to get your act together when you're in an emergency situation, the better. But do your best. Start with striving for three and then keep adding until you get to six. Step two is also crucial. Automate your savings. Utilize direct deposit or auto journals so that every month on a given date, a transfer is automatically made to your savings account. Think of it as paying your future self. Once you do this, it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't have to manually do a transfer. It just happens every month seamlessly and your savings build up without you having to get involved with this every month transfer. Three, set goals for what you want to save for and establish a timeline for accomplishing the goals. If the goals look daunting at first, work with either variable, amount of saving or time, to reduce the monthly target to something realistic. Just adjust those two variables to something that you're comfortable with that doesn't cause you great anxiety to achieve. Make it easier so that you'll actually stick with it. And for understand that this process isn't easy. Be patient with yourself. You know, you might fall off the wagon along the way here and there, but that's okay. Just get back on the horse and carry on. So let's talk about investment strategy. If you earn income, the first thing you should be doing is maxing out on your contributions to your 401k or your IRA to get the benefits of tax-deferred growth and possible employer-matching contributions in 401k plans. Retirement may seem far off but it comes much quicker than you think. So the urgency of early retirement savings cannot be stressed enough. Retirement is actually a very urgent topic, even if you're 25 years old, because you need to start thinking about this early. Women live on average longer than men and will need more retirement savings accordingly. And living on social security payments in retirement will replace only 40% of an average worker's wages. Once you are maxing out on retirement savings, The next step is to invest for the long term with a diversified portfolio in stocks, bonds, alternatives, and real estate. Invest in assets that produce income and grow income, such as dividend growth stocks. Plan investment strategy to produce supplementary retirement income to Social Security or pensions with stock dividends, IRA distributions, alternatives that pay income, or rental property income. According to the Federal Reserve, women are less comfortable managing their retirement investments and making investment decisions than men. Only a fraction of women, American women, 26% to be precise, are investing in the stock market. A recent study found that only 12% of women are very confident that they will be able to retire comfortably. What? That's not a very high number. Further, more than half of women, 55%, expect to retire after age 65 or don't plan on retiring at all. Wow, there's no rest for the weary woman. To exacerbate the situation, women are generally more risk-averse than men. A Hearts and wallet study found that female investors hold more cash than male investors. On average, they allocate 37% of their assets to bank savings, that means checking accounts, or CDs, which are equivalent to cash, compared to men who allocate 25% to cash. Men also have double the allocation to stock holdings compared to women. So, the upshot is that women need to have a greater sense of urgency with respect to saving for retirement, and they need to confront their investment phobia to attain financial independence. I mean, holding cash has its place, if the preponderance of your investable money is in cash, though, it will not keep pace with inflation over time, and it will not grow enough to take you through retirement, especially in this current interest rate environment. Financial independence requires a lifetime commitment to prudent investing. It is not a one and done commitment. It needs to be informed and it needs to be intentional. So we, as women, need to really confront this phobia we have about investing, and we need to get our arms around it because it really is the way to grow our assets enough to provide for a retirement in which we can live in dignity. Okay, so how do I ascertain that my investment strategy is solid? How do I master my investment phobia? There are a variety of options that are on offer that will assist you with investing an investment strategy. If you're just starting out, there are low-fee, computer-based options, robo-advisors, that choose and manage a portfolio for you. Some offer access to financial advisors for questions, and some are specifically for women investors. So you should definitely check those possibilities out. If you want personalized advice and holistic planning, which is my recommendation, and of course I'm a financial advisor, but I really believe what we do – is extremely important to individuals and families, do your research and work with a financial advisor. Financial advisors not only can help you with long-term investment strategy based on your time horizon, personal goals, and risk tolerance, but they can prepare a financial plan which can illustrate how long your money lasts throughout your lifetime based on defined assumptions. I run these plans all the time for my clients and they are incredibly useful. They give you a snapshot based on the assumptions of what you're going to spend and what you have coming in and what your investments are and the rate of growth of those investments. How long out into your retirement does your money last? But take note, all financial advisors are not created equal, and you should ask certain questions to a prospective advisor. So let's go through a few of the questions that I think are important. The first question, and perhaps the most important question in my mind, is to ask, are you a fiduciary? Fiduciaries are legally required to work in the best interest of their clients. Non-fiduciaries are held to a lesser standard called the suitability standard, which means they may recommend investments that are not the most ideal or optimal for you. Fiduciary advisors greatly minimize any possibility of a conflict of interest. So this is really the first question you need to ask. Are you a fiduciary? Second question, how do you get paid? Focus on fee-only advisors. Fee-only advisors usually charge a percentage of assets under management, which means that they have skin in the game, because if your assets decrease, they get paid less. Again, it's a totally transparent arrangement. Their fees go up and down with the balance of your assets under management. Third question you want to ask, what are your qualifications? The term investment advisor is a term that is not a regulated term. Anyone can can use it if they like, and hence it can be used by people who are primarily selling investment products, but not really formulating investment strategy and curating investment selection. Research the person's designations. Are they accredited? What's their educational background? Look at their form ADV to check their record. All of these things will add to their competency. Fourth question, what is your investment philosophy? This is very important. It is important that the advisor explain their strategy to you clearly, cogently, so that you understand it. Don't be afraid to ask questions and delve deep into why they have the strategy they do and why they have it for you in particular. You need to be confident in how your long-term financial goals are going to be achieved. If they can't explain it to you clearly and logically, then they probably don't understand it either. So you really want to understand why they're suggesting the strategy, the types of investments, the time horizon, and all of those things. And you should never be afraid to ask questions. The fifth question I would ask them is, who is your custodian? It is best if your financial advisor has an independent custodian to hold your investments rather than acting as their own custodian. And you will get monthly statements from that custodian. So some examples of custodians that are independent would be Fidelity, Schwab, Pershing. But you want a financial advisor that has an independent custodian. That means the funds are sitting there and they're not within the control of the financial advisor. Question number six I would ask them is, how much access do you have to the advisor? How regularly will you meet with the advisor? Is the advisor available for phone calls and emails outside scheduled meetings? You want to have a highly communicative relationship with this person And you don't ever want to feel awkward or not sure if you can call them. They should always be available to you. And the last question is, does it feel like a good fit? Do you like this person? Do you trust this person? Do you get a good feeling from this person? So in our five-step process towards financial independence, step four is to really take a hard look at retirement, eyes wide open. Women have special concerns about retirement, which is why this is its own step. On average, a female retiring at age 65 can expect to live another 21 years, nearly three years longer than a man of the same age. Savings can increase a woman's chances of having enough money to last during her retirement. Many older women rely on Social Security as their primary or only source of retirement income. It prevents almost 40% of retired women from falling into poverty. Many women work and they pay Social Security taxes and earn credit toward a monthly income at retirement. However, because women on average make less than men and are more likely to take time away from their career due to family responsibilities, they may have lower Social Security income compared to their male counterparts. In general, Social Security comprises a greater percentage of the total income for unmarried women 65 and older, in contrast to unmarried elderly men and couples. In short, the sooner you create a retirement plan, the more likely you will be able to overcome these financial hurdles. Many women rely also on the spousal benefit in Social Security, which is equivalent to approximately half of your spouse's benefit. So if you didn't work or you made less Um, Your spousal benefit may actually be more than your own benefit. If you are divorced and you were married for 10 years or more and you don't get remarried, you will be entitled to the spousal benefit linked to your ex-husband's Social Security. doesn't matter if he gets married after you've been divorced to someone else. You still will be entitled to that benefit if you were married for over 10 years and you haven't gotten married again. Given that, we never know what the future holds. Whether we are single or married, it is important that we evaluate the sources of income in retirement that will be available to us and plan well ahead so we aren't caught short at this time in our lives. And then the final step I would like to discuss is how do we maximize our professional prospects? Entering the workforce is really where you usually establish your own financial identity and set the foundation for your future. You are responsible for your own credit debt, and financial destiny. The following are a few tips from successful businesswomen on managing your professional destiny. Always negotiate with your employer. Statistics show women rarely negotiate on salary, which may contribute to statistically lower pay rates. Women are four times less likely to negotiate for higher pay than men. 20% say they never negotiate at all. So we need to learn to step up. To say our piece, say it calmly, rationally, but we need to be direct and claim what is rightfully ours. Don't be confrontational, but be factual. Men do it all the time, so we need to learn to do this. As noted earlier, set up a retirement savings early. Don't wait to start saving long term, especially if your job offers a 401k program. If not, consider opening an IRA or a Roth IRA and set up automatic monthly contributions that work for your salary. That needs to get started very early on in your life so that when you finally do retire, you've built up a nice nest egg upon which you can retire. Next, be bold and confident and take on new challenges. If you're asked to do something that excites you, but you aren't sure you're completely ready for, always say yes. You'll figure out the how later. I have faith in you. Have faith in yourself. Also, take note of how you spend your time. Review the big time users in your daily life and how you can reduce those and increase the things that increase your income, your career trajectory, your well-being, and or your impact. Find a way to delegate or release the other stuff. And finally, don't give up and focus on the why. So here's the upshot. Don't procrastinate. The adage, failing to plan is planning to fail, is really very applicable here. So declare your financial independence and get it by planning, discipline, resilience, and very, very intentional behavior. And let freedom ring. That's it for this week. I look forward to the next time. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Fourth of July.
1: The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Ignorance is not
0: bliss.